for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my broom brother and sister. Hello, everybody. Another episode Great to of be back. Bruce Strong. We're live here in Pacheco, California in the studios. A little town just west of Concord <laughs> and north of the Bay or south of the Bay. I don't think anybody there? really needs to know that. Oh, okay. We're here in the studios. We're, we're broadcasting live. You can listen to us live, and you yes. can actually join in and chat with other listeners in the uh, in the chat room. Go to thebringnetwork.com. Click on the Chat Now button. You don't need to enter in uh, any password or anything. Just put in a, a whatever username you want, join in, and you uh, chat with like-minded individuals. That's right. If you have any show topics that you want us to cover, uh, Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com is the email address, and uh, send that in. We don't really uh, respond to that. That's just for show ideas, things like that. Yeah, we if do you read need, them all. Uh, yeah, we, we read them all, uh, sometimes sober, sometimes not. But uh, we do read them all, and uh, our hope is that through this show, we can help you uh, brew better beer. All right, right. so that's that's what brewing strong is about is 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 being a great brewer and mm-hmm. knowing not not just uh brewing you know, robustness yeah not not just following along but you know uh like like uh McChad here mm-hmm. uh here in the studio he's an excellent brewer and uh you know th- I think one of the reasons he is is because he has a curiosity about uh you know what parts of the process what it what it's doing right it's not just like what do I do Tell me what to do, and I'll just do it. It's like, well, you know, all right, now, why would I do that? What am I trying to achieve? What what uh, uh, sort of result is that going to have? How does that make my beer better? Yeah. And by understanding all that, I think he's brewing strong. I think he's becoming a, a better brewer right. and, and making a better beer, and that's that's brewing strong. Not not brewing high-gravity beers, high-alcohol beers, but yeah. uh, being brewing a better smart. brewer, be, being, brewing smart, being, being, brewing... Uh, from knowledge, from skill, from uh, you know, from all that—that's brewing strong. That's right. That's what we're here. All, that's what that's what we're all about. Brewing, brewing classic styles. That's what we uh, promote. Fine book. It is well, probably one of the best books ever written about home brewing and brewing and brewing recipes. Probably the best collection of recipes ever collected in the world. Probably the best. Who wrote that? A- no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we have those available in the Brewing Network store. Actually, you can get that uh, various places. You can get that from, uh, you know, something like, uh, you know, these mass market uh, retailers uh, around the web. And uh, you can get it from uh, the AHA website. Uh, good good people there. Yep. You can get, get it from them. But one of the places you can get it signed by both authors, John Palmer and myself, I is in the, Bre- <laughs> the Brewing Network store. <laughs> Uh, go to uh, thebrewingnetwork.com, go to the store, you can pick up uh, signed copies of Brewing Classic Styles, you can get uh, signed copies of John's book, How to Brew, the, the seminal work on uh, really everything from starting out to becoming a real expert. So any That's level of brewer you are, I guarantee you, or I will buy the book from you, you will find something in that book you did not know. You well, will find uh, some information in that book 
that does that you did not know that can help you make better beer. How to brew. I hope that is the and, case. And uh, so we got signed copies of that in the store. And there's also a very fine Brew Strong shirts. Yes, these are sweet shirts. In, in red and in gray. Uh, they they got the, the mash paddle on it. it yeah. Excellent artwork on that. I'm yeah. really pleased with how that turned out. Justin put a lot of effort into uh, making sure that those turned out well. Yeah. There's and, a little uh, BN Army a logo on the back of it. I know. I really like that, actually. Mash I like great. that. I like that. It's absolutely my favorite. Uh, you know, the hop, the hop Grenade shirts, I really love those, too. They have those available also in the store. You probably want to get yourself multiples and only wear BN Army That's gear. right. Have one for every day of the week. I generally, I generally do. When I always make sure I wear those. I'm wearing those shirts out. Ah, yes. And and as a matter of fact, I was wearing one. Uh, took the family down. Got in the RV. Chug, 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 chug. In my RV down to uh, Southern California, down to your area there. Oh. We spent uh, a few days over the holidays at uh, Disneyland, like we're wont to do every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you had, wore your Bruce Strong shirt at Disneyland. Uh, I did. I, I well, was I wearing the Bruce Strong or was I wearing the uh, Hop Grenade? I think I wore the Hop Grenade at Disneyland. Yeah, it's a little more. How do you say? <laughs> family oriented or yeah maybe i don't know uh but uh i did wear my bruce strong shirt i got an opportunity we, we visited my sister in del mar okay. and uh parked the rv out in front of her multi-million dollar home <laughs> look and I, I tell you the rv i can afford is a 12 year old rv right it's mm-hmm. not not fancy right so it's kind of like uh you know national lampoons christmas vacation where you know they park <laughs> yes. the rv on the lawn and uh, you know the family's in there, you know, hooking up all the cords and uh, stopping up all the toilets. That's me. You're the brother-in-law. I'm yeah. the I'm the hillbilly family <laughs> that that comes to visit. You know all the neighbors. And, you know this this is like a you know on a slope viewing the ocean. You know these are you know the, the tiniest little house goes for you know a couple of million. And uh, I've got my uh, my ten cent RV parked out in front. <laughs> and, uh, and living out of that thing, but uh, it was great. And and one of the great things was I got a chance to visit my brothers and sisters in Coif. At oh. uh, I went down to Harold Gabranson's house, and uh, he's got the most amazing setup there. I took the wife with me, it. and we went. And she got to see. He's got this this amazing brew shed that uh, his wife Joanne kind of uh, uh, got contracted and built. And it's it's you know brew shed is you know it's like a brew home. It's got uh, you know it it it's, it's just stunning from from the uh, you know the counters to, to the uh, the sinks and the storage for his brewing equipment and the tile floors and the you know the the toilets and the uh, uh, the, the walk-in fridge the uh, the um, uh, you know dishwasher the cabinets for the glassware oh. I mean it's just stunning it's like if you were to you know. Uh, have a big meal and have a wet dream about uh, you know your perfect brewing environment. This would be it because it's 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 a brewing environment plus a party environment and oh, oh their their whole their whole place is, is wonderful. They're, they're, you know they're they're just the greatest people in the world. But what was really cool was uh, I got to see a lot of my friends that I haven't seen for quite a while. I used to be down in San Diego quite a bit, but lately it's it's been a lot a while, of good folks but, down there. Uh, and one guy I met, you know, that I hadn't met before was uh, this guy Cole, 
and uh, yes, he helped out with the uh, the World Beer Cup. And you know what's cool about uh, you know people knowing a lot about beer is when they see an unusual beer, one that they haven't seen before. Now a lot of people they'll they'll help out with uh, you know GABF or competitions or you know whatever event, and they'll grab what they know. But you get a real good beer geek like this guy Cole, and uh, you know he he grabs things that he's never seen before, the things that you can't buy right locally right. And I don't know if you've ever seen this this Vin de Cereal. I have not seen that one before. I had never seen it before, and I, you know so so here's this array. I personally, I didn't bring anything down. I didn't know that I'd make it to the party, so I went to Bevmo. Mm-hmm. Right, California and, uh, institution. Right, right. Went to Bevmo and uh, and you know I bought you know like fifty bucks worth of uh, you know some some pretty high end stuff, all stuff that I knew. Mm-hmm. I think there's maybe one that I hadn't tried before. But uh, so all this you know, and it, everybody was showing up for the party. Uh, you know, they, they had all the stuff stacked out on this table, and it's just an amazing array of great beers. You know. Uh, you know, it's fifteen buck a bottle type of stuff, right? Yeah, all over the world. And I've seen all of them. I've tried all of them. There's like one or two I hadn't tried, and eh, they were all right. They were kind of interesting. But this one from Rodenbach, which of course is yeah. one of one of absolutely one of my favorites, and Vin de Cereal, I had never seen before. That one caught my eye. I'm thinking, I gotta have a taste of that. I gotta have a taste. Of that. I gotta have a taste of that. <laughs> Turns out this guy Cole, he had brought it, and he was like, "Hey, you know, you want to taste this?" I'm like, "Yes." That is the only one that really caught my interest of all the beers here. And it's like a 10% alcohol. I was wondering if Vin cereal translated as barley wine or... Uh, yeah, or, you know, wine, you know... Wine of cereal. Wine cereal. Of the cereal. Yeah, 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 barley wine. Uh, 10% uh, by volume. And uh, this is aged in, uh, you know, they even have the VAT number, like, uh, you know, number 132. And uh, they make... And I've read a little bit more about this on the website. They make like, uh, oh, you know, 10,000 bottles or something of this. And like half, or maybe 20,000 bottles, half goes to local and then half gets shipped out. Okay. So a very limited run on this thing. And each bottle is numbered. And uh, it, it Barrel was, aged. To, yeah. it, it's for three years, I think. Uh, I sent it off to a friend of mine to see if he could translate the label for me. I haven't heard back from him yet. Uh, I told Cole that I will. That's why I have the label. And uh, it was fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. just, just stunning. Everybody who tried it was like, wow. You know, these these folks really know what they're doing. So it was a sour beer, was it, with a, kind of like a Flanders Red? Oh, or? Yeah, yeah, not quite not quite as sour as, uh, you know, like a, a Rodenbach Grand Cru. Um Probably more along the lines of regular Rodenbach, but it had a real malty character. It was all like pale malt. Oh, okay. Not, not, a br- not one of the sour browns. Not not nearly that color. It was okay. all very pale. And uh, you know, 10% alcohol for a sour beer is actually very tricky to do. You get past yeah. 8% alcohol, uh, not much will live past, in an 8% alcohol beer. This is one of the, the keys to making like uh, you know, an Ode Brune or something like that, is that 8% cutoff where the lactobacillus stops working, things like that, right. where uh, you know it's just not going to sour very much. So how you get 10% plus you know, the sourness and all that in, in you know, one, one uh, batch is, is tricky. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that, I thought. that sounds like a great beer. I wish I could have had some. 
Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Drank it all. Uh, Good on you, mate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. From our trip to Australia. You know. uh, well, and, and one of the things I found interesting about it is, like, zero carbonation. It was really? not carbonated at all. I mean, there was, I mean, there was maybe, like, a, a touch over atmospheric, but it was pretty much uncarbonated wow. as far as we go. That's bizarre. Yeah, we all kind of commented, but we, we liked it. It was appropriate for that beer. So that's that's the interesting thing, you know, carbonation appropriate for that beer. Yeah. And that brings up uh, today's topic, which is carbonation, where, you know, a lot of people uh, struggle with carbonation. It's, it, it seems on its surface a very simple thing. Right. And, uh, yeah. You know, carbonating your beer. It's like, okay, but, you know... How, how exactly do you determine, you know, what's appropriate carbonation? How do you uh, make that carbonation happen? You know, what's, what's the problem if you don't make that happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Right. Yeah, I, I've, I, I waffle between having, you know, no regard for exactly how much carbonation I have. and <laughs> But I, on the other hand, I know that there are, there are well, levels of carbonation that make yeah, a beer Right. Pop. No yeah. no regard whatsoever. So, you know, yeah. any carbonated or not, then yeah. that would be no regard. Well, okay. Some some, some regard. Carbonate. Some regard. All right. Yeah. So, and, and what we got, I, I got a question uh, emailed in from Alan. He said, uh, Dear Pope Malty, uh, I really love the shows and especially Brewing Classic Styles. Uh, again, you can find that in the Brewing Network store. Uh, I've had great success with the recipes from the book, but have trouble with something that seems so simple, carbonation. In the book, you give specific numbers for how many volumes of CO2 for each recipe and style. This is great. However, I naturally carbonate and seem to have a hard time hitting those numbers. A few things came to mind. Is it, one, because I'm reading the carbonation chart wrong in the book? Uh, Two, because my beer isn't fermented right? Three, I don't want to switch to kegging because people tell me CO2 from natural carbonation tastes better. Four, how do I know I have the right amount of carbonation? Alan. All right, so that's what today's show's about. It's going to be carbonation. And uh, what we'll do, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get into all the aspects of carbonation, what it is, how to do it. How to control it. How to ensure your brewing's strong. That's right. Back after this. Brew right. Brew smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire her up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. And the new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. 
Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The, the more beer, beer deal, deal of the day. day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Hi, I'm Sean O'Sullivan, the brewmaster and co-founder of the 21st Amendment Brewery and Restaurant in San Francisco. Six years ago, Nico Frecci and I opened the 21st Amendment on 2nd Street with the intent of bringing back the local neighborhood brew pub. Well, the neighborhood has really changed over the years, but the 21st Amendment still remains a great place for people to meet over a terrific meal and a tasty pint of beer. In the past, the only way you could enjoy the 21st Amendment's handcrafted beers was at the brew pub. Well, all that has changed. Now, the 21st Amendment beers are a available in cans. That's right, cans. When was the last time you had a great beer in a can? Well, that day has come. We're offering our world-famous watermelon wheat and 21A IPA in cans. Cans are a better package than glass because cans keep the beer fresher, longer, but you can also take cans to places where bottles can't go, like the beach, lake, golf courses, and sporting events. So join us in the revolution to take back the can from the big breweries and crack open a cold 21A craft beer in a can. The 21st Amendment, 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park. Okay, I rolled a 15 and I get a plus two from my yeast starter. No, sorry, you failed your roll. Your beer is infected. No way. You had to be to 24. It's schizosaccharomyces. This sucks. I just failed versus oxidation. Our party is fracked. Doug's the only one left and his beer is a Berliner Weiss. What's this? A tea party? Hey, this is a brew session, man. Get lost. Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really uh, use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Does your significant other know the difference between an Irish red ale and a Flanders red ale? Do you burp, strizzle, spalt, and fart Y-Yeast 2308? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs, ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping, only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the socially awkward Patters beer and the sci-fi convention showstopper number eight make 10th level at northernbrewer.com this sit down next to it grab yourself a paper towel and watch those yeast have sex you're listening to the network back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys brew strong Pardon me. Hey, howdy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it always degenerates. Uh, starting with the second show, and then it just gets worse and worse. We're talking carbonation today. I'm here with my uh, good uh, buddy here, John Palmer. How do you, everybody? Auth- author of uh, How to Brew. And uh, also in the street, we got uh, uh, Sleepy McChad. Uh <laughs> Falling asleep there. Uh, Jamaica. And uh, Justin uh, working the boards here. And uh, we're talking carbonation. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so John, give us, a, give us a definition. What is carbonation? Well, carbonation, as we talk about it in the book, especially, is, uh, you know, it's, it's how much carbon dioxide is, in, is dissolved into the beer. 
And when we talk about a volume of CO2, um, the definition of one volume of CO2 is uh, essentially one liter of CO2 dissolved into one liter of solution, or in this case, beer. Okay, you're jumping ahead. You're looking at my notes. You're jumping oh, ahead. All right, so, so yeah. See, the problem is I make notes for this show. You know, when I was doing uh, the Jamil show, uh, there was no notes. Yeah. Just, you know. Very freewheeling. Very free- Commando style. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, so, so carbonation is the the CO two dissolved in the beer, and what what does that carbonation do? It 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 uh, helps uh, lift uh, aromatics out of the beer. It form helps form the head. Right. It's critical to forming a head on the beer. Mouth it's, feel, um, mouth feel. Uh, you know, a, a variety of uh, aspects of the beer yeah. are controlled by carbonation. So it's actually quite important. And it may seem simplistic to say, well, what's carbonation? Most people kind of understand, but it's, it's the amount of CO2 dissolved in the beer. Yeah. And different beer styles require different levels of, yeah. of CO2, right? Right. You know, not necessarily you measure require, that in, but in, they, they taste better at particular levels of carbonation. Excellent. Because excellent you get point. better expression of flavors. Right. So in brewing classic styles, for every recipe in there, we talk about uh, the volumes of CO2 that are required uh, as far as carbonation for that beer or that style. Now, a volume of CO2, you were saying, was one, one liter. One for, liter of CO2 mm-hmm. dissolved into one liter of beer. So an equivalent volume of CO2, uh, whatever volume of beer, you have a gallon of beer. A uh, gallon of if CO2. If you have a ga- gallon of CO2, that's one volume. Right. Uh, most beers uh, that we're used to here in the U.S. Uh, carbonated two and a half to maybe three volumes. Right, which so would be like two and a half you have gallons, gallons of, of CO2, CO2 to... And, and, we're talk- and we're talking gaseous CO2. If you were to take that CO2 out of the beer, you would have, and you filled up a, a like, like a plastic bag, you'd have mm-hmm. two and a half gallons of volume of CO2 in that, in that bag. And that gets dissolved into the beer, and that's the appropriate carbonation for, let's say, your average American uh, ale. Right, right. Okay. So that's a volume of CO2. Uh... Well, and I think, uh, you know, if we go back to Alan's questions, mm-hmm. Alan has some, some excellent questions. I, yeah. And we hear these all the time. We do. Uh, all right. Uh, you know, how, oh, all right. So, well, let's back up a little bit. How do you get carbonation in the beer? There's a couple of methods, right? There's there's carbonation from the yeast. Yeast will produce carbon dioxide as they, right. they, they process the sugars and create yeah. the... I mean, during fermentation, the yeast are creating carbon carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. and you're going to end up with a certain equilibrium concentration of carbon dioxide in the beer. As mm-hmm. it's sitting there in the carboy or you know, fermenter with the airlock on, there's going to be a certain dissolved equilibrium volume of CO2 in that beer. And that's going to change, though, based on, let's say you have... Uh, you know, some sort of back pressure on the on, airlock the, on or, the airlock or whatever, or you have just a piece of loose foil that that could change mm-hmm. it slightly. Right? But yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to depend on local conditions of mm-hmm. you know temperature and temperature. pressure. Uh-huh. So you know, if you're if you're in Pacheco, vibration, yeah, or if you're in Colorado, mm-hmm. you know, we're up up a couple thousand feet. There you go. Um, Atmospheric pressure will play a big role then. That's right. And uh, I mean, and and when it comes to talking about uh you know charts and equations that you see in books typically they're talking about sea level pressure they're not talking about elevated pressure atmospheric pressure now wait wait 
for, for the chart and brewing classic styles on page page very nice girl um page 299 page 299 all right so so there's a couple of charts in there that'll actually help you determine uh you know how much priming sugar and and or you know temperature and pressure if you're uh kegging right to uh d- determine uh you know to to get the right level of of co2 now do you have an adjustment for that for for altitude i don't um, You'll have that done uh, and posted on the website. Uh, we will post that to MrMulty.com, I suspect. Okay. And we'll yeah. make up a little night, tiny little go. program like the pitching calculator. Yeah, I said I would do that. How many years ago? <laughs> <laughs> soon, yeah. Soon, soon. Okay. Well, so touche. You threw that right back at me and uh, <laughs> caught me off guard with that one. All right. So uh, Alan's first question was, uh, you know, am I reading the chart wrong in the book? Probably not. Well, <laughs> all right. So, so it's just uh, you, was, Alan. What, all right. Really so, so, so I've I've fermented a, my beer, and I'm going just just primary. I'm not, you know, I've 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 got an average ale. It's at uh, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. And uh, I've got five gallons of it. It's sitting on my counter. It's at room temperature. It's 67 degrees. Right. It's fermented out. I see no more activity in the airlock, and I've given it a couple extra days, so I see nothing happening. Now I want to carbonate this. How do I go about that? What's how do I you know? And the and the the brewing classic styles for that recipe tells me I need two and a half volumes. Right. How do I get two and a half volumes in that beer? Okay. Well, what what we've done in how do we read the chart? Yeah. How do we read the chart? What we've done in brewing classic styles, and it kind of builds off Dave Draper's uh, work that he had posted to the internet several years ago. Um, basically, you you say, okay, how much carbon dioxide do I have in the beer? Because you know, it reaches it an, an, an equilibrium. Right. Just naturally, uh, any liquid has CO2 dissolved in it. There's CO2 in the air that we breathe. There's in nitrogen, the there's oxygen, all that stuff. You naturally get a certain amount dissolved in your right. beer, plus the fermentation, things like right. that. Right. And so if you ferment the beer you know, in, a, in a closed container with an airlock on it, what, you, what you've done is you've said that uh, you're not going to allow uh, very much diffusion of atmospheric carbon dioxide or nitrogen or you know and oxygen into the fermenter what the pressure's got to equalize you got to have the same pressure inside the vessel as outside the vessel uh inside the fermenter all that pressure is going to be supplied by co2 that the yeast has generated during fermentation so uh depending on the temperature and the atmospheric pressure and the, we assume the atmospheric pressure is at one atmosphere or near sea level mm-hmm. and that that is a good number uh for most everybody in the u.s and around the world where you're generally you're living at uh, say zero to a thousand feet you know of elevation i mean your ballpark you're near one atmosphere of pressure so then you turn to temperature what is the temperature that that beer is sitting at because that affects how much uh co2 can dissolve into that beer uh, the higher the temperature, the less uh, carbon dioxide can dissolve into the beer. And uh, so what you, what you do with the, the both the priming sugar nomograph, um, which can be found in both How to Brew and Brewing Classic Styles, and then the other chart, which is uh, basically for you people that keg your beer, how much overpressure 
do you need to supply to the keg at a temperature to get a particular volume of CO2? And as we said, one volume of CO2 is equivalent to one, you know, one volume or one liter of carbon dioxide dissolved into one liter of beer or one gallon to one gallon. If a beer calls for two and a half volumes of carbon dioxide, that's equivalent to two and a half gallons of CO2 dissolved into one gallon of beer. And you start out with how much carbon dioxide is in the beer at equilibrium at a certain temperature, and then how much extra carbonation do you need to put into that beer, either through priming sugar or through uh, overpressure of a CO2 tank on the keg to get two and a half volumes, if that's the target you're looking for. Can you give us a, a quick rundown on how to how to use those charts? Just real brief. Sure. On, you know what you might do. Yeah. Um, people following along. Yeah. If you turn to page two ninety eight, and I do apologize if you don't have a copy of how, Brewing Classic Style. If you don't have a copy of Brewing Classic Style, screw you, <laughs> bastard. Yes. No. No. Not really. Break the wallet open. Get the twenty bucks out. Oh. But uh, the priming the priming sugar nomograph is available online at howtobrew.com. And uh, you know, don't don't try to turn to it now. You can look it up later. But uh, what you do is you draw a line from the temperature of the beer in the fermenter. You know what you, what 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 temperature is that beer sitting at? Is it sixty five, or is it forty? Is it in the fridge? You know what what is the ambient temperature of the beer in the fermenter? Because it's going to have naturally some CO two dissolved in it already. Right. You need to take that into account. Otherwise, you're going to overcarbonate. That's right. And uh, you, so you draw a line from that scale over through the desired volumes of CO2. So instead of drawing a line, here I'm interpreting, interpreting for uh, my uh, right. mechanically oriented John Palmer. Take a, a note card, 3 by 5 note card or a sheet of paper, and use that as your straight edge right. to, to go across to the, to the numbers. Yeah, so let's say, let's say we have a beer that's at 60 degrees, and we want 2.5 volumes of CO2. Uh, in the in the final beer, um, we draw a line from sixty a stri- uh, across a straight edge, two and a half. Oh yeah, and we uh, come out with it looks like um, three point eight. Yeah, about about three point eight ounces of uh, cane sugar, or. Um, Oh, sorry, 3.6 ounces of cane sugar versus 3.8 ounces of corn sugar or dextrose to achieve um, two and a half volumes of CO2. And that is that difference is the fact that um, sucrose, table sugar, corn, uh, white sugar, cane sugar provides a little bit more uh, carbonation per, per weight, per unit weight than uh, dextrose or corn sugar uh, does. And uh, that what you're doing in, in this in this nomograph is you're taking the amount of CO2 that exists in the beer at 60 degrees and adding ad- enough additional fermentables to come out with an end, end um, pressure of 2.5 volumes of CO2. And uh, that's assuming, you know, that the... The priming sugar is fermented well um, in the beer. Mm-hmm. You will get two and a half volumes out of it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So the, the, that the brings up a, a, a couple of interesting things is um, fermentation and, um, you know, if a beer, you know, uh, one thing, if you have a lot of leftover uh, fermentable sugars, let's say you have a very poor fermentation. Right. Or you're, or you're brewing a high-gravity beer like a barley wine. Right. It's and, slow to ferment. And you, uh, let, let's say you pitch... Um, you know, some extra yeast, and you give it some time. If you have a lot of uh, unfermented sugars that are readily fermentable by the by the yeast, you know, simpler sugars, uh, that can affect your carbonation over time as well. That's right. Yeah. One thing, when, when you're trying to establish a level of carbonation in the beer, uh, by adding, especially by natural carbonation or even overpressure, you want to start with a beer that has finished its fermentation. You don't want a beer that's only you know eighty percent or ninety percent um, done fermenting, because you're trying to say I've got X amount of carbon dioxide uh, in equilibrium in this beer, and I'm going to add, you know, uh, Y, you know, a more, a certain quantity more to get my final number. If uh, that beer's not done fermenting, then your your equation's going to be off. You know, you're getting X plus Y plus, plus Z. Mm-hmm. of un- unfermentables that haven't happened yet. So you want to have a beer that is completely fermented out. So it's it's important to make sure, you know, good fermentation practices, fully fermented, give it time to finish up before right. you try and carbonate. That's right. And then you add a certain amount of priming sugar or a certain amount of overpressure in the keg uh, to force carbonate mm-hmm. to get your final um, carbonation volume. Well, uh, another question I get a lot of times is people either, they say, well, I filter my beer, and it's taking out all the yeast, or, um, you know, I've let my beer sit for so long, lagering, and it's it's sitting there in the fridge, I'm afraid there's no yeast in there, uh, you know, what do I do if I've, I've done that or I've, or I've filtered? And uh, what you can do is, uh, you know, you know, they want to know about adding back yeast. And they want to specifically know how much yeast to add back. What uh, what a commercial brewery like uh, Sierra Nevada does is uh, to re-pitch. They'll filter out all their yeast. They'll re-pitch with about uh, 1 billion cells per liter of beer. Mm-hmm. Okay? So in your average, you know, 5-gallon batch, it's close to 20 liters. It's uh, you know, about 19 liters. You would use um, about you know 19 billion cells in a gram of dry yeast. You got about 20 billion cells, uh, a fifth of a, uh, a White Labs vial, or a fifth of a uh, right. smack, uh, XL Smack Pack, or one of those propagator packs is about 35. It's a little bit much. And one of the things is you don't want to over yeast your beer. You don't want to add too much yeast because the excessive amount of yeast will end up uh, atollicizing in in the beer, causing uh, a lot of off flavors over time. You know, if you're going to be drinking this beer within a few months, it's not a big deal. But if if this is something you want to age for years, um, you really want to be very careful about how much yeast is in that beer. It's better to to be on the short side than, than on the heavy side. So you can add that yeast back. Again, uh, you know, a gram of properly rehydrated dry yeast is, is just about right for five gallons of beer. Yeah. Now, keep in mind that most uh, dry yeast packages have like seven or 15 grams per package. Right. Or, if, you know, five to uh, five, <laughs> 11. Yeah. Uh, they have uh, various numbers. Yeah. 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 
Uh, so, so you want to be careful of that. Now, th- this this brings up a uh, interesting uh, question here, and and I think um, uh, Alan also brought this up. I don't want to switch to kegging. People tell me that CO two from natural carbonation tastes better. Okay, now this is this is one thing I've I've adamantly uh, gone over is uh, you know CO two is CO two is CO two. All right, when we're talking CO two, carbon, oxygen, you know, two oxygens and a carbon, right? That is, uh, it's a compound. It doesn't right. separate. It's exactly CO two. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Comes out of your ass. It's still CO two. That's right. Doesn't really come out of your ass. It's more methane, but right. You know. But if it's uh, welding, if it's right. welding gas CO two, right. or if it's natural fermentation CO two, it's it CO two. It's CO two. Right. Now, the the thing that is possibly different between forced carbonation in a keg and uh, bottle conditioning is. You probably end up with more yeast if you bottle condition, which can be a bad thing, actually. Yeah. Uh, and you'll also you you, you could, uh, in theory, um, uh, you know, reconditioning in, in the bottle could help uh, reduce some of the uh, maybe diacetyl, right. uh, acetaldehyde. Right. Some of that could possibly re- be reduced if you if you're not uh, fermenting properly to start with. Maybe it it helps draw down some of those residual sugars that should have been fermented out, right. things like that. So that could and if possibly you, and if help. If you got any oxygen into the bottle at packaging, right, right. That you could, could clean up some of that. But if you're not filtering your beer and you're not uh, waiting a, an, an excessively long time, there's still lots of yeast in your beer. It looks brilliantly clear, but trust me, there is of tons of yeast yeah. still floating around in there. And when you put that in bottles, if you wait a couple of years, you'll see a nice layer across the bottom. There's plenty of yeast there to pick up a lot of O2, things like that. So I'm not convinced that uh, the benefits of bottle conditioning outweigh the drawbacks of bottle conditioning, which is excessive amounts of yeast, because you're right. going to add some sugar, you're going to grow a little bit more yeast, you're going to end up uh, you know, along those lines, right? Yeah. Or, it, bottle conditioning is different than uh, forced carbonation, no question. Is it better? No. Is it worse? No. It is different. So it, it's going to depend. You know, There's a lot of factors that are going to weigh into that of, uh, you know how does this particular beer benefit or not benefit from natural carbonation versus forced carbonation mm-hmm. and a lot of that's going to depend on your process you know um and the and, and that particular fermentation that you are re-fermenting in the bottle whether it's going to improve it or it's going to you know stay the same or it's going to be a detriment um i think i think going back to alan's question is uh, natural carbonation better than forced carbonation? No. I, I don't think there's any basis to say that it's better or tastes better. I think, you know, given a particular style of beer and your brewing prowess and process, uh, it could it could be different and it could be an improvement or it may not be an improvement. But, you know, in, ter- in terms of generalization, you can't say. I, I force carbonate all my beers, and I don't and you know, I don't see any detriment to doing that. You know, versus uh, versus naturally carbonate them. Yeah, for me as well. I think 
you know, minimizing the amount of residual yeast in the bottle uh, is actually uh, a yeah. better thing. I think if you had perfect packaging practice and you had perfect fermentation and, uh, you know, you could package without any stress on the beer, no oxygen being introduced and, and no staling factors introduced, um, then I would say you'd be better off without any yeast whatsoever. Right. If you could perfectly package it, let's say. Just in a, you know, in a, you know, ideal world. There's no oxygen introduced. You have a perfect oxygen tight barrier. Right. Everything's been perfect all the way to that point. Not having yeast in there would be even better for the beer. Yeah, in a perfect world. Yeah, but. yeah. Right. And and in an imperfect world, the residual yeast that you normally have unless you're filtering. Right. Um You've got plenty of yeast in there to, to to resolve any of those issues. So adding more yeast and more sugar and things like that, mm, you know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, uh, bottle carbonation, I think. Right. Uh, but yeah. uh, I'm not convinced that it actually helps uh, long-term stability. I think if you're looking at, uh, you know, short-term, it's, it might be better. Mm-hmm. Long-term, I think it's worse. Yeah. It, it, comes, out, it comes down to it's different. So... You know, your process, your beer, uh, it's going to, you know, bottle conditioning is going to be slightly different than forced carbonation. If you go through the time and trouble to determine whether one is better than the other, then, you know, more power to you and stick with it. But uh, there's nothing to detract from forced carbonation in my in my mind. I'm trying to open, a, open this tasty beer. bottle of Ballast Point Sea Monster that Justin just brought out. Which From the deep, dark depths of something. You ever have that one, Jay-Z? San Diego. Uh, no, I haven't. Picked Never it either. up fresh from the brewery in San Diego there. And what were you doing you had, down there? You had said you liked it. Uh, I was hanging out with the Whites for a couple days, getting out of Dodge. See, you know, you, you live the... <laughs> life of the, uh, the beer cognizati, the, 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 you know, the, uh, the people in touch. Me... I'm just like freaking boob on the uh, on the uh, Nebraska. The side, yeah, out of, yeah, out of Nebraska. No, I'm I'm like I'm like nothing. But you get my sloppy seconds. I mean, I bring back you at 22. So, that's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, you had mentioned yeah. before the show you really like Ballast Point. I and do. I forgot that Ballast I had Point's that. Great. And that's one of their limited release ones. So uh, sorry to interrupt the show with it, but I thought you'd like it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. I, I just. Uh, I'm just feeling you know, so left out, you know. <laughs> you don't. You you have all this celebrity status and none That's of the celebrity benefits. That's right. You know, <laughs> people thinking I'm like a mover and a shaker. I tell you, you know, I'm I'm shaking it, but that's about it. I've got to depend on my own hand to be doing the shaking. Yeah, I'm like I'm hanging out in White's uh, penthouse above Petco Park down there. Just chilling. see, see, <laughs> Chris won't return my calls. You know, I'm I'm telling you, I'm nobody. I'm nobody around here. Jesus Christ! Yeah, well, uh, you got to learn to hobnob a little better. Uh, you know, the knob has never been for me. <laughs> Justin's right. just known as being that 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 sought after party guy. The fact is, I'm an ass. And Justin's a nice guy, and that's what it boils down to. That's you know behind you be the nice s- to people behind the scenes. That's that's what determines it. You know, I'm a dick. Everybody, you know, everybody who meets me knows that, and they avoid me. Yeah. Who do you, who do you want to argue this? 
<laughs> yes, yeah, nobody. Nobody's going to stand up. Nobody's going to come to my defense. That's it. That's it. Justin might, but that's that's just because you know. That's just because I need you to keep working. That's right. Okay. <laughs> that's it. Uh, let me let All me right. go back to the book for just a second. Um, go back to the book. Yeah. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Your book. Yes. <laughs> In Appendix D on page two ninety nine, we have a chart that is uh, basically keg overpressure to achieve a certain volume of CO2. Hey, it works better if I talk in the mic. Um, a certain <laughs> overpressure of CO2 on a keg to achieve a certain volume of uh, CO2 at a temperature. So let me pull out an example here. If your beer is sitting at 50 degrees F or 10 degrees C, it's going to have a certain equilibrium pressure of CO2 in it. Um, let's say you want 2.0 volumes of co2 in this beer when you serve it for this style uh by using this chart you go down the left hand side to 50 degrees f 10 degrees c and you look across there for the appropriate amount of uh, co2 you want so let's say you want 2.0 well 1.9 is close 2.3 is the next number that corresponds to uh, 10 psi of overpressure on the keg. Uh, that's what you would set your regulator to, and or in, if you're in Australia, um, that would be 69 kPa, um, 70 kPa, to get uh, two volumes approximately. Sound like kilopascals or something? Yeah, kilopascals. There you go. Yeah, I remember something. Yeah, Pascal was a buddy of mine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, I don't remember his first name. Um, Bob. Yeah, there you go. Bob Pascal. But uh, at 50 degrees, or, um, you will have uh, 2.0, or 1.9 here if you look at the chart on page 99. Uh, 1.9, to get 1.9 volumes of CO2, you need to put 10 PSI or 69 kilopascals on overpressure on that keg to get that number. That's how you read it. You go down the left side to pick your temperature, uh, look across the chart to the right to select how much, how many volumes of CO2 you want, and then uh, look up towards the uh, the top line to read out how much overpressure you want on the kick. That's oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even Jamil didn't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just randomly... Adjust my my pressure regulator. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, all right, the, so it's that that brings up another question that Alan had was how do I know I have the right amount of carbonation? Now on the drive out here, I know you and I were talking. We, we came up with some theories on how you could actually measure. Now there's a Zom Nagel uh, yeah. CO2 tester. You can spend thousands of dollars and uh, you know run these tests to actually determine. This is how uh, you know carbonation is determined in packaged beer. Right. They check uh, you know to, to it pierces the top of the bottle cap and then yeah there's a chemical reaction. You measure the amount and you say okay there's X, X volumes of CO2. Now, how can you do that on the cheap? And so uh, I was thinking, hey, you know, you take you take a you know a plastic grocery bag, those real flimsy plastic grocery bags. You don't want to put any back pressure on the beer, so you don't want right. like a balloon would right. would cause pressure. Right. Uh, so resistive pressure that would force CO2 into solution. So you take one of these pl- plastic grocery bags, 
put it on, you open your bottle of beer, you, you, you put that uh, uh, on there with some rubber bands to hold it tight, and then you let that thing sit for a day or two and see how much CO2 comes out and fills the bag. You measure that amount of CO2, mm-hmm. and that's going to tell you how many volumes of CO2 you had in that beer. Right. The key is that you don't know what the equilibrium concentration is at your ambient temperature mm-hmm. for that beer. So, uh, Is it not always one volume? I don't think so. It may be like 0.7 volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's going to depend on the temperature, and you'd have to look up in the CRC manual or you know, one, one of those reference books. That's, How much CO2 dissolves in a given liquid at uh, a given temperature right. and atmospheric pressure. Right. That's going to be how much CO2 is in the beer after this this exercise, right? That's right. And that may or not be one liter or, you know, one volume of CO2. Let's say you have a 12-ounce beer. 12 ounces of beer may not have 12 ounces of uh, CO2 dissolved. So you're you're going to have some volume that's going to be in the beer, and you're going to have some volume that has now escaped from the beer and partially inflated that bag. Uh Uh-huh. And to measure how much is in that bag, we talked about, you know, you could... Uh, submerge the bag in water. Submerge the bag in water. You know, a, a, a known uh, diameter, if you're using a bucket or a known uh, graduate you know, square or, or something, something like, that, like that, a flask. And you submerge that bag, just the bag, not your hand or whatever, right. and see how much the water goes up. You measure how much difference that is from the top to uh, when you started. You multiply that times the uh, the surface area of the uh, cylinder or square or whatever you're using, and but that, that should volume, give you volume change. Yeah, right. and so you'd have if you know what what's dissolved in equilibrium wise, and that mm-hmm. may be, you know, uh, so many milliliters, and uh, measure the millimeter, milliliters mm-hmm. of uh, CO2 that's mm-hmm. filling the bag. Mm-hmm. Then you have the total volumes of CO2 in that beer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I first thought of this, I thought, well, you know, you get that bag to fill up, and then you just kind of tighten down until, you, you know, you got that bag sitting there, and hold it up next to the bottle, <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> you could kind of estimate, you know, is that like, you know, two times the size of the bottle, three times the size of the bottle, four times the size of the bottle, one time the size of the bottle? That's right. And that should kind of give you a, a kind of a ballpark as to, you know, a real cheap and easy way to say, oh, I've got so many volumes of co2 in that beer that's 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 a good way to do it um the only point you really don't know is what the equilibrium concentration is right. and if i had had a few more minutes and a couple brain cells before the show i would have looked that up <laughs> but, well you'll find this on mr multi.com at some point that's right. along with the other calculators that uh, are yet to be done well, and you know, so we assume that that concentration is probably less than one volume of CO two, maybe a half probably. volume or something like that, is right. what I would guess. If you kind of, if you look at the if chart all. and kind of extrapolate from that, because because um, we're talking CO two in the environment, right? Or yeah, if you look at if you look at an overpressure of five psi on page two ninety nine, and you look at eighty five degrees Fahrenheit or twenty nine C. Um, 5 PSI is needed to create one volume of CO2. So, in other words, the the equilibrium concentration mm-hmm. at 85 degrees well, how is much less CO2, than one volume. CO, how much CO2 is in the air that we breathe? Uh, I don't know. 15%? I know it's 70% nitrogen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, almost 20% oxygen. Yeah. So I guess that would make me 10% or 10%, 8%, 8%, 9%, uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And then uh, you know, we're at 15 PSI, so 9% of 15 PSI. 14.7 PSI, actually. Okay. Go ahead and work that out, Chad. Okay, so it's a, like, you know, <laughs> it's about, it's about 1.4 PSI yeah. of you know, CO2. So, so, so not a lot of CO2 at, at equilibrium, right? But, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting exercise. Not really yeah. critical. And so during this break, everybody go out and work this out on paper and get back to us. What we're going to do is we're going to come back and we're going to talk about really what effect the, uh, the carbonation has on beer. We'll back after this. Okay. Strong. We'll be right back. What's good for the earth, good for your body, and great for your brew? Organic Ingredients. This holiday season, the Organic Ingredient Experts Seven Bridges Co-op in awesome Santa Cruz, California, offers you the gift that keeps on giving to our planet. Sustainable, fair-wage ingredients to make the best organic homebrew you've ever had. There's a growing demand for organic products, and your choice to brew with them supports organic farmers worldwide. Brew organic, and you'll brew excellent beer that is free from chemical residues and genetically modified organisms, and you'll help contribute to a better world. If you're looking for organic ingredients, Seven Bridges offers a huge selection of USDA-certified kits and raw ingredients from 8 ounces to 50-pound sacks of grain, whole and pellet hops, and all the equipment you need. Seven Bridges, the organic homebrew expert since 1997. Visit www.breworganic.com. Attention homebrew shop owners at Fermentap. They know you're tired of buying the same old gear that everyone else has. That's why Fermentap offers the newest and most cutting-edge brewing equipment known to man. Since 1998, Fermentap has been leading the fight against the boring and mundane by offering strange, unique, and just plain smart equipment. Like their stainless-domed false bottoms. Never deal with the floating plastic hassle of other false bottoms again. And since they're made from stainless steel, they'll last a lifetime. Fermentap's line of copper for wort chillers are the best on the market, designed to cool your wort faster and more efficiently than other immersion chillers. They actually invented the equipment to make these chillers not only work great, but look great too. How about a fantastic line of ingredients, including vanilla beans, sorghum extract, blue agave extract, hot bitterness extract, unique wine yeasts, green coffee beans, sake kits, all stuff you can't find anywhere else. Fermentap carries all the standard products and equipment you need as well, such as all-grain systems, stainless hardware, kettles, Carbonation stones, you name it, they've got it. Fermentap's entire line of products has been helping retail shops meet the demands of their customers for nearly 10 years, and they want to help you too. For more information, see them on the web at fermentap.com or call Jason at 1 800 942 2750. Fermentap, better beer through innovation. Did you know that every day a brewcaster goes to bed hungry? Did you know that that brewcaster is silently calling for the help of people just like you? Do you know that every day the unicorn and the rainbow have to blow sailors for loose change? For less than the cost of a half-calf, quad-shot, venti, extra-hot, soy milk, triple-pump, hazel, low-fat foam, double-cupped macchiato a day, you can help starving adults in Pacheco. Your love can be felt for as little as 7 cents a day. 
Visit thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate to sign up today for as little as $2 a month. Private first class in the BN Army. Buy your way up the ranks as corporal, sergeant, ranger, or colonel with an easy-to-do monthly donation that keeps brewcasters alive and your favorite internet radio station broadcasting. No donation is too small to help those in need. Can't you find it in your heart to share your love with a brewcaster? In return, you will enjoy the wealth of knowledge that comes with every episode of the session. The Jamil Show and Yes even that other show. Thank you for listening, and please sign up for your donation at thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate today. You're listening to The Brewing Network. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. Oi, oi, oi. Oi? <laughs> oi, oi. Oh, okay. Oi, oi. All right, we're talking carbonation. All right, so we're we're kind of going over uh, how, you, how you know that you have the right amount of carbonation. And then uh, kind of brought up, uh, you know, why is carbonation important? So we, we kind of touched on this in uh, the definition of carbonation. But one of the things uh, I've spent a lot of time on, and the, the, the thing that really interested me in carbonation initially was, you know, if you take a trip over to uh, merry old England, mm-hmm. take a trip over to Britain, uh, you know, things that are carbonated a little lower than we do over here in the U.S. Right. And you realize all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not flat. It actually, you know, kind of marries well with the various styles. So if you have, a, you know, a smaller gravity beer, something with a smaller uh, finishing gravity, and, uh, you know, you, you balance out your, your carbonation just right, it actually adds to the creaminess of the beer, the mouthfeel of the beer. If you go too right. high on the carbonation on a smaller beer, it becomes harsh and acidic and uh, you know, water. Yeah. and all of a sudden becomes very thin. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing is uh, the, the good people at uh, Sam Adams who sent me a couple of bottles of uh, chocolate Bach. Ah, and a yes. couple of really nice glasses, a letter from Jim Cook. You know, very nice people, and they, you know, they, uh, thanks for helping with long shot, and, you know, mm-hmm. um, one of those bottles leaked. Oh. There's only about half full, but I thought, well, I'll still go ahead and, you know, give it a shot. They chilled it down. I poured it out in a glass. It tastes like water. You know, chocolate Bach water. Because of the carbonation level. No carbonation. Real thin and watery. Now, mm-hmm. I imagine if I had added a, a couple of volumes of CO2, it would be rich and full and thick and, you know, or at least just a those delicious des- dessert better. beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but if I had gone over that, it would again become acidic and harsh and, and, right. and, and too gassy. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's one, of the, one of the reasons why carbonation is so darn important. It really changes the character of the beer. I've had in the past... Beers and 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 I advocate this. You you, you uh, ferment your beer out. It's done. You put it in a keg. You hook it up to the gas uh, for you know your target target uh, carbonation, and you let it sit. And actually, a little over your tar- target carbonation. 
And you check it every day. You take a little taste, take a little taste, take a little taste. And it seems to get better and better and better. And then when you hit the right carbonation level, it'll be a thing of beauty. Yeah. You know, just everything comes together. The aromas, the flavors, the mouthfeel, you know, the, the beer is beautiful. If right. you continue on with carbonation past that point, what's going to happen is all of a sudden it's going to start to drop off. And it's not going to be quite the beer it was. Body kind of goes south on you, and it's a little harsher, and the Gets flavors are different. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really changes the beer. The character of the beer changes. There's a magic point for every beer that, uh, and, and it, you know, it, it, it may be different. Now, in Brewing Classic Styles, we list, let's say you're brewing the, the beers out of Brewing Classic Styles. And it gives kind of a range, usually within a half an atmosphere for various beers. You know, two to two and a half atmospheres for this beer or this style, right? Right, right. And that should be pretty close. Now, depending on your brewing process, how much, uh, you know, uh, long-chain dextrins, a lot of other things that you might have in your beer left behind, um, that will determine really the ideal carbonation level. So you need to uh, kind of mickey around with it. That's why I kind of like the, the process of, you know, uh, going with a little higher gas. Right. Uh, letting the, you know, tasting the thing every day. Uh, I don't do the shaking thing. Uh, you can to, to kind of force the CO2 in there. But right. letting letting it kind of build up. And when it gets to that point, you know it. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll know it. it's just right. Right. It, you know, or you'll get to a point where, you think you've gone past it and it's starting to go downhill. Then you back off on the gas a little bit, you're right in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just just perfect. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, you know, the, the reason Alan's writing us is because it's it's a critical part of, you know, what makes a great beer. Yeah. The, the, another another factor comes into play there is temperature. Um, last week, we were, my wife and I were drinking Baltica 2, port, uh, Baltica 2 Pilsner. Which is um, a Russian pilsner, and uh, I wasn't serving it really cold. It was kind of warm. It had been in the garage, and uh, when you poured it, the CO two came out of solution because it was warmer. And when we were drinking that, she was saying, "You know, this kind of has a slick feel. It doesn't have very crisp, you know, uh, body to it." And she really didn't care for it. And I said, "Yeah, it should have been colder. It would have kept some of that carbonation, and then it would have been a brighter beer." to drink hmm. so you know the the amount of the amount of carbonation and the temperature you serve it at all you know both those things you know combine to help a beer best express its flavors well it's not always it's not always more carbonation that's needed right. it's not always less carbonation that's needed it's every beer has its own level of carbonation that is the magical point that's right and it's it's and in brewing classic styles we we talk about the different styles and we talk about what level is appropriate to that style and and a lot of it goes back to you know this is the way it was done these these are the mm-hmm. this is the flavor profile that is traditional for a style like a mild you know where it's it's served on cask mm-hmm. it's served you know at a very at a relatively low level of carbonation and that style and that flavor that you get from the style 
you know, all that has evolved around those serving conditions mm-hmm. where this, these are the flavors that you expect. Well, if, if you serve that at a higher carbonation, uh, you're not going to get horrible. that flavor. And, and the funny thing is, if you if you go over to Britain and you, you have some of these cask-conditioned cask beers, properly cask-conditioned beers, and, and properly, you know... Um, and side note, you know, it's great in the U.S. that we're we're doing, you know, people are serving things on cask. But if it's not a beer that's appropriate to right. that level of carbonation, it really doesn't seem that great. It, it'll be, you know, syrupy or watery or, you know, who knows what. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the right kind of beer and balance and all that, it's a thing of beauty. It's, it's not... Um, you, you would think, oh, it's not carbonated. No, it, it, you don't get that impression at all. You get that it's properly carbonated. There is carbonation. It's it's gentle. It's right for the style. Right, right. And that that is, you know, just really highlights the importance of carbonation and beer style and brewing, and and getting all these numbers right. It's not something that I think I think there's leeway. Mm-hmm. I think you got maybe a half volume leeway, and you can get pretty close. And you can make a decent beer if you want to make the best beer in the world. You really need to, I think, uh, you know, have a kegging system so you can dial it up and down and make sure that that beer has reached its proper amount of carbonation. Yeah. Rick Sellers talked about that in the Pacific Brewing News or his podcast he does, where you know they when they go you know drinking pale ales at various brew pubs, you know often they'll double pour. They'll take a, get an extra glass and mm-hmm. double pour that beer because. Often beers are served with too much oh, carbonation. Well, here in the U.S., yeah, that's that's one of my pet peeves. They overcarbonate the the freaking daylights out of the beer, and right. it, you know they're filling people up with gas and and you not beer. And it's it's, it's horrible. Yeah, and and so you can't really blame the brewery because <laughs> the brewery sends out a perfectly carbonated keg, and they send it to to whatever pub, and then it sits on gas at a higher pressure, so and they overcarbonate. Yeah. And well, and 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 a lot of places, uh, some of the bigger breweries, uh, if you're serving their beers, they insist that you serve at a certain pressure and all that. And 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 the people who are used to those uh, mass market beers like a really gassy light, uh, right? You know, it's, so it really messes with the other beers. Now, now we have Chad uh, Mosier in studio with us, and he's uh, he's got some some interesting thoughts about uh, CO2 and some questions about CO2. He's a great brewer, brews great beer, but uh, you know, the question of CO2 is still uh, maybe a little bit of a mystery, huh? Well, you know, time. I mean, time, how long do you let it sit? If you want to get a, a keg overpressured, you set it at 15 PSI. How long are you going to get to three and a half volumes or whatever you need to be at? I mean, is there a magic number? Is there five days? Is it a day? In my experience, it only takes, um, say, three days to come to equilibrium. Uh, you can speed that up by rocking the keg, shaking the keg, you know, to help present more surface area, you know, to the gas uh, in the keg. Uh, you get that dissolve in fact faster. But you know, if I if I overpressure a keg at 15 psi, a uh, couple couple three days. Now, now, see for me. Oh, oh, all right. So you overpressure. Let's say you go in maybe double the pressure that you really need. Mm-hmm. It'll reach equilibrium by three days. Okay. Is what you're saying, right? Because yeah. I'll go, uh, you know, the pressure that I do need, and it takes maybe a week okay. before it reaches equilibrium. I think that's uh, true. Here's yeah. tasty. He's saying, yeah. And about, we're talking about, about forced carbonation here. Yeah, yeah forced carbonation in a keg. Yeah. I, when, I, when I first put pressure on a keg, I'll typically crank it up to like 30 PSI for a couple of days and then back it off. 
He's yeah. impatient. Yeah. That's what I've heard. You know, 50 PSI for overnight and you're you're good. It's carbonated. I've heard that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you, you got to back it off. you got to back yeah, it off. Yeah, the thing is, you, yeah, you can overshoot, things like that. I like the slower method. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tasty likes that one, too. Where, yeah, you, you, you just go with it. You, you never rush your beer. There's no beer that's ready, like, you know, the day after it's fermented. You, you, you let something set. Every beer, and I think, I, I don't know if I, if I wrote this or something or something. I doubt it. Or said it. Or set it on a show. Is is every beer needs a period of conditioning, a period of rest. What varies is the length of that based on the 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 beer that you're brewing, the style that you're brewing, or the type of recipe that you're brewing. Certain beers need you know years, you know need <laughs> three, four, five years. Certain beers need a week. It just depends on the style of beer. Right. And so every beer needs a rest of at least a week. Wouldn't you say tasty? Two or, three. We, or two or three. And they improve over that time. Uh, you know, fines uh, that are in the beer right. drop out to the bottom and, 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 yeah. and help uh, with head retention, dropping those, those fines, uh, things like that. So there's, uh, there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, value to letting that, that beer uh, condition over time. Uh, now... Uh, Chad, you're talking about uh, time again. What about uh, you know bottle conditioning? Let's right. say you've you've added your yeast. What about time and temperature on bottle conditioning? Well, that that partly is going to depend on uh, how much yeast you've got still in the bottle. You know, um, good, strong, healthy fermentation uh, that has been you know fermented over a normal two weeks or so, and then bottled. Uh, you're going to have enough yeast in there that it'll, it'll carbonate uh, within three, four, five days. All right. And so, then, so, but you know, you, then you got to kind of say, okay, uh, let's give it a little bit more time to settle down. I I usually plan on two weeks for carbonation. Sometimes well, it takes a month. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get people then email me and they'll say, hey, you know, my beer hasn't carbonated. It's been two weeks, three weeks. You know, what do I do? And I'm always like, well, give it more time. Warm it up. Yeah. You know, put it somewhere warmer and let it sit longer, and right. eventually it'll it'll go. The only danger to that is if uh, you know, every beer tends to have some bacteria and wild yeast in it. Right, it's really difficult to avoid. And if you let you let that sit at eighty degrees for a month, yeah, eh, you're going to start growing some of that stuff unless yeah. it's a real high alcohol, real low pH beer. And, and depending on the beer, you may you may get into a a trade-off of uh, a, you know oxidative or staling damage versus carbonation. So I, you know, I had a question. As far as let's say you fermented your beer out, you crash it, say at a forty degrees. Uh-huh. Then you want to bottle it, condition it in the uh, bottle. What do you do with the yeast? Do you warm the bottle up? You know, as you you pitch the yeast, do you want to warm it up again after crashing, or do you want to just yeah, leave that yeast in suspension anyway? You can do it Don't either. Even crash. You, you can do it either way. The, okay. the, 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 all right. So a couple of things. If you're going to crash, uh, you know, and and try and drive all the yeast out of out of the beer, there's still plenty of yeast in the beer, really. Unless you let it sit for months, it really it's hard to get rid of all the yeast unless you filter. Um, if you do filter, or if you you do let it sit long enough, and there's not enough yeast left in the beer, you're going to want to pitch at a rate of one billion cells per liter of beer. So uh, 
uh, you know, a gram of dry yeast or a fifth of a pack of white labs or Y yeast will uh, give you uh, approximately the right the right yeast load to properly bottle condition the beer. If uh, you're talking about temperature and uh, you know you're down at temp and you still have enough yeast. Uh, really, for bottle conditioning and carbonating, you go ahead and let it warm up. Even if it's a lager, what what have you, it's okay. Let it you know warm up to you know room temperature, seventy, eighty degrees. It'll be fine. Okay, hey, it's just something I've heard. You know, once your beer is cold, I mean, keep it cold. You don't want yeah, to yeah. Generally, up. But if you're bottle conditioning, you know, a bottle fl- conditioning a- works. Carbonation of beer works better at warmer temperatures. Right. The yeast work faster. Right. At warmer temperatures, it'll sure. it'll do it cold, but it'll take a long time. Okay, I guess that's the, the thing is the big question. You don't want a lot of fluctuation. And I I think this is the the thing you're you're touching on is you know wild fluctuation of beer temperatures over time. You know up and down, up and down, up and down. Even even uh, as little as a half a degree temperature fluctuation over time. This is one of the things they do. Uh, uh, kind of getting off track here in the wine world is uh, you know they got to a point where you know with technology and all this they had perfect or perfect you know temperature stability and you know let's say your wine is sitting at 50 degrees right. day in day out for years and for some reason it's not quite aging properly what they realized is you know the shifting of the temperatures and it was a little as like a half a degree in these caves and stuff uh is critical to the conditioning of the wine, so that 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 temperature shift. So they started artificially introducing like a half degree shift, yeah. uh, back and forth, and back and forth, back and yeah. forth, back and forth, in order to uh, accelerate the conditioning of of those things. So the same thing is true about beer. The uh, you know shift in temperature, uh, I, th- I think, will accelerate staling. Uh, so. Uh, if if you're going up to 80 and down to 40 and up to 80 and down to 40 and up to 80 and down to 40, your beer will age very quickly. If you're talking, uh, you know, half degree or a degree, you know, around a, a stable temperature, um, it's it, it's not as big a deal. So I think if you do it once or twice, not a big deal. If you're doing it on a daily basis or, you know, weekly basis or monthly basis or however long you're storing the beer and it's shifting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, yeah, that's that's going to stale your beer much faster. That's interesting. You were talking about that wine process. Is that a today process they use or is that an old process that I, I, I believe that's so what they, they, they oh, use today. Pretty neat. They, Just they the realize wine. that, you know, you, you can't hold it perfectly steady. The wine doesn't uh, properly condition hmm. uh, under that. That's pretty neat. Uh, what about hoppy beers? As far as carbonation, I always hear, you know, from Tasty, crank up the CO2. Let's, let's get those hops popping. You know, if it's a little flat, you kind of, I don't know, it just seems a little, maybe the body, I mean, for one. But as far as flavor profile of the hops, is there anything? Well, I, I think there's a lot to say for, you know, carbonation lifting that, that uh, those hop aromatics out. Uh, you know, to your nose, so you get that, and I, and I think uh, delivering it across the palate, things like that. I think there's a, there's a truth to that as well. Um, again, I think it depends on the beer style. You know, more, um, you know, the the maltier beers probably don't appreciate uh, as much carbonation as the hoppier beers do, and and it varies. You know, depending on residual dextrins, you know, alcohols, things like that are going to have a, a big effect. Yeah, I mean, if you if you pour a 
an IPA uh, that's highly carbonated. You know, you get a lot of the hop aromatics coming out of it. Uh, and I think, and, and you and you probably can you know note from your own experience, if you slow pour an IPA, you know, so that you don't get much foam in the it's pour. Not lively, yeah, yeah. And you don't you don't get the hop coming out, and it's very prickly, and you lose some of the malt character. But if you if you pour the if you pour that beer such that you get a good head off of it, now you get a lot more aromatic coming out. the the carbonate the residual carbonation in that glass of beer is softer. You get a lot more of the malt character coming out. If it's I mean if you pour a very cold, highly carbonated you know IPA, it's a sharp beer. You don't get the malt character. But you pour that if you pour that a little more vigorously, you pour a little warmer. Uh, then now you get the balance of the malt and the hops uh, coming out of the beer. So that's you know yes, overcarbonate to help push those aromatics. But a lot of at the same time, that's only part of the story. You need to you know think of uh, your serving temperature and uh, how you're pouring that beer in terms of get the best <laughs> flavor out of it. That, that brings up a good a good point. One of my pet peeves is. People easing the beer down the side of the glass and yeah, you know, no reserving everything. You know. yeah. No, 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 no. You want to pour that beer right down the center of the glass. Let it splash. Let it hit the bottom. You know, build up a head. Let it kick up. Let it get, like get some foam. Get some carbonation. It drives out the aromatics. It's you know, it right. really presents the beer better. I think that's that's a critical point. Um, what I think we should do now is uh, take a short break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we're going to get into uh, you know questions people have in the chat room. Sounds like a good idea. Good. Brew right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. What have you gotten out of a vial of White Labs yeast? WLP001, Cal Ale, baby! 23, Burton Ale. 008, East Coast Ale! Cal Common, WLP810. It's gonna be WLP400 with beer! I got a sweet hoodie for my vial. Huh? 
White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew your own clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Live. Beer Radio. The Brewing Network. The Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's yeah. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. Dude. Put some yeah, sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Network. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. You know, we're so passionate about this carbonation issue. <laughs> that, you know, we're, we're just all, you know, raging here in the studio in between. And, and I think... Uh, you brought up a really good... Good anecdote. I mean, well, yeah, really well, illustrates it well. Uh, all right, so so a couple of things. We, we start off with saying, all right, if you had a, a perfect beer, right, just flawless. This is you know BJCP scale, fifty point beer. It's it's a, a absolutely perfect beer. If you change the carbonation just a little bit, it's no longer a perfect beer. It's gonna it's gonna reduce. And and uh, right. it, it, as an example, the back of my point. I, we went with the family down to Disneyland for a few days down uh, in Anaheim, California. And there's this place called J.T. Schmidt's. We went there on Sunday when we got down there. And I had uh, a 22-ounce glass of their amber ale, which I which I enjoyed before. And it was perfect. Absolutely freaking the best amber beer I've ever had in my life. The Everything was, was flawless from the... The recipe to the brewing to the presentation, everything, you know, the, just a, an ideal balance between the roasty, the hoppy, the caramel, the, you know, every aspect of the beer. And I had two of those bad boys, easily, <laughs> just fan-frickin-tastic, you know, and, and carbonation in place, you know, it had a kind of a creamy feel, but enough to kick out the aromas, things like that. Yeah. Exactly a week later. We're back, same brewery. It's the same batch. They haven't brewed another batch. It's still in the you know the uh, serving tank, but the serving tank has been drawn down over that course of that week. When you draw down the tank, the volume, you know, the CO two things like that, you know, the serving conditions change and the carbonation change just slightly. Gets a little bit higher. Yeah, and it was no longer a fifty point beer, maybe a forty eight point beer. Still a great beer, but not nearly as perfect. As I consumed the glass, as the glass had a chance to stand a little bit, some of the carbonation could come out a little bit. Uh, like Chad was pointing out, it actually improved. Yeah. It was actually back to that great beer. So you find differences in CO two do make a big difference in you know in your beer. I wouldn't freak out about it, but. Be aware yeah, that be aware if, if you have a beer that doesn't seem quite right, you might mess around with the CO2, especially if you have a, a kegging system, 
and you will realize that that there's a, a, a big difference there. Right. Yeah. And when it comes to competition time, I mean, it's not just, hey, it's low carbonation. It's affecting flavor profile, body, right. everything across the board. Yep. So, I mean, how do they judge that? If the carbonation, they pour it in a glass, how is that looked at? Well, I, I, I think I, I think you asked this before on the uh, on another show. Is is um, uh, you know when I judge, I, I have you know I imagine what it would be with more or less carbonation, hmm. and you, you that'll carry you so far. But generally, most judges will they judge it as is, right. and they're not going to help you with carbonation, or they may say it's too low or too high, but they're not going to imagine what it could be. Hmm. based on different carbonations. So I yeah. think you're kind of screwed. Well, you know, you, you think about the, the judging process where you pour the beer and the first thing you look at is appearance, you know. And you'll say, yeah, a lot of carbonation it has a good head. You look for head first. And if it's got a low carbonation, it's not going to have a good head. Maybe you then you take your first sip and you say, okay, I taste these characters. If the carbonation is high, it's going to taste a little sharper. Uh, you're not going to get the malt character, but they keep tasting that beer, you know, as they're as they're scoring the beer, and you know, three, five, or five minutes is going to go by as they as they continue to taste the beer. They'll probably swirl it again to try to pick up some more aromas, you know, secondary uh, characteristics. That carbonation level is going to go down because you know you're talking about you know two or three ounces of beer in a in a wide uh, you know plastic cup. And as that carbonation goes down during the tasting session, uh, you know, more malt character is going to come out of that beer. Um, and I, th- I think one thing that in the com- in the competition show that you did on uh, the session, I believe, uh, where you talked about how to how to build beers for competition, you know, and what competition is all about, over carbonating a little bit to help bring out different characters at different stages of the scoring of the beer helps. Um, you're going to want a little bit more carbonation to start with because as as the judge you know judges that beer and swirls it and smells it and tastes it, uh, if that beer starts out low carb, uh, it's going to be really flat by the time it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so from a competition point of view, you may want a little bit more carbonation to start with. I think we we need another competition show where I give out really bad advice. Okay, and, and that's it. That'll that'll help me. Yeah, <laughs> time I can like screw everybody up. Yeah, but I mean, I, the carbonation. I guess what we're talking about in this context is that carbonation brings out you know beer mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. High carbonation helps bring out the aromatics. Well, and low it, carbonation uh, helps accentuate some of the malt. The very first thing uh, you and I both know, BJCP judges, and we uh, yeah. we we judge a lot of competitions. The very first thing you do is check aromatics. Yep. So a little bit extra CO two, you know, helps pop helps help pop those aromatics, and then uh, you know, uh, then you're you're on to appearance and flavor and things like that. And so uh, we're not talking a huge amount of CO two, but just right. uh, just a tiny here more. Right. Will uh, really really help with that. All right, Justin, you got uh, questions from the chat room? Yes, we do. A few good questions came through. Uh, here's one. It's also uh, kind of a discussion on the Brewing Network forum right now. Um, someone wanted to know if you could, uh, well, carbonate a beer with nitrogen. Although the the question asker knows that you're not carbonating it, but could right. you all the way through uh, 
quote carbonate a beer with just nitrogen. Right. So the reason you you. For everybody to listen, the reason you can't carbonate a beer with nitrogen is uh, there's no carbon dioxide, right? So carbonation requires carbon dioxide. If you're using nitrogen, then there's no carbon dioxide, and obviously you're not carbonating the beer. Yeah. The reason that uh, you know uh, nitrogen carbon dioxide blends or beer gas is used is to um, you know create a, uh, a lower carbon dioxide level. A little creamier. It's creamier because you're using less carbon dioxide, but there's bubbles to to stir it up. The thing about using 100% nitrogen is you could use 100% nitrogen, but nitrogen really doesn't dissolve well in in liquids, and it tends to come out, and and, uh, you would end up with a very uh, watery-tasting beer. So you really can't do uh, 100% uh, nitrogen... um, uh, Gasification of yeah, of, of beer. I, I find that it's with not uh, going to work. Yeah, beer gas mixtures, or when you when you get a stout at, stout at a bar, pub or something, mm-hmm. you know, you let that go go flat over. You know, if you say you nurse it over a half hour, uh, half the, hour. What's the matter with you? I've talked to interesting people. Okay, yeah. so you know, it, to, as that beer gets gets flat, mm-hmm. it gets very watered because right. there's a lot less residual carbonation right. in that beer. Yeah. Because it's been partially nitrogenated, mm-hmm. the equilibrium concentration is a lot less. Right. So, so you really—I mean—you can do it, but the result is going to be unpleasant. Okay. Here's another good question: uh, Does attenuation have much to do with how fast a beer will absorb CO2? The example is uh, this: uh, Brancet, one of our listeners, says, "I've noticed that beers that I try to finish at a gravity over ten fifteen, like a barley wine, uh, tend to need more pressure to get to a nice carbonation." Is that is there a relation there? Well, there is know. a relationship between residual or right. gravity it's, it's, and it's carbonation. Long chain, solubility. long chain sugars and all that. It, it, it's the dextrins that uh, you know are going to affect mouthfeel and all that. So, you know, the level of CO two will change, but um, perception know, the, of the balance is going to change too. That's well, probably the overriding factor. The 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 partial pressure of gases are not really affected by uh, dissolved sugars in a solution. Right. right, but the um, perception of those. Yeah, perceptional change. But I think his question is like, you know, how f- amount of time? How, how you know how is it going to? Let's say you have, um, you know, you know, the 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 transfer of partial pressure of gas to to a solution is really not affected by uh, gravity. Right, and I get, and I guess what I'm saying is that. The, you need you need more to to to, the, to overcome in, that. In, sure, in, sure, yeah. Sure. In a barley wine, to get the same kind of mouthfeel that you get in a pilsner, mm-hmm. you're going to have to crank that up to like three atmospheres right, versus right. two atmospheres. Well, because the higher the the higher sweetness of a barley but wine, but his question is time. Right. Does it really take longer? Well, but it works that way too. Then uh, right. because it it takes it would take longer only in the sense that you're having to put more CO2 into it. But it doesn't take longer to get the same amount of CO2 into a lesser beer. Right. It's just that you, since you need it's more CO2... Higher, well, you, 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 well, I think we're talking higher gas pressure, so the time time should be the same. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm, uh, what, I guess what I was going to... And, and you're right, Jay-Z, as far as you know, what the question was asking and what I'm answering is kind of different. But if you have a barley wine versus a Pilsner, you know the big difference in in gravity, resi- you know, mm-hmm. final gravity of the two beers, and the if you're expecting the barley wine to have the same mouthfeel as the pilsner, 
you're going to have to put a lot more CO2 mm-hmm. into that mm-hmm. to counter the residual sweetness and the and the heavier gravity of that barley wine right. to get the same mouthfeel. It's going to and that will take longer to happen unless you have uh, higher overpressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, well, uh, and if you don't have enough pressure, it's never going to happen. Right. There, so there comes a state of equilibrium. So if 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 if, if the brewer, if the question, if the person is asking. Uh, why does it take longer to carbonate a higher gravity beer? If he's looking for the same mouthfeel in each beer, regardless of style, then yeah, a higher gravity beer, brew like a barley wine or a Bach is going to take longer or need a higher level of CO2 to get the same kind of mouthfeel that he's well, and, looking uh, for. Let's make sure we're not confusing anybody here. If you If you use a lower pressure... Let's say you use, uh, you know, 6 PSI or 5 PSI at 38 degrees or 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. You're going to reach a point where there's a certain amount of carbonation. It's not going to get, at that pressure and temperature, you could leave it on there for a decade. And right. it's never going to get more than a certain amount of CO2. Right. It's, it's probably reached that point by about a week to 10 days. It has reached that equilibrium. You leave it sitting there for 10 years, it's still at the same amount of CO2. Right. Right? So don't get confused that the longer you leave it, you're going to get more CO2. The, the reason people think that, I think, a lot of times is they're using 20, 25 PSI, which is way more than they really need. And, you know, it gets more and more and more CO2 over time, and then they finish the keg and, and they're done. Um, you know, dial in the, the appropriate pressure. You get yourself brewing classic styles from the Brewing Network store, signed by both John Palmer and Jamal Sandershaft. And then, uh, you know, use that, that chart in there to dial in the correct pressure for the temperature of the beer is at, and then you will get um, the appropriate level of CO2. And, right. and at that point, you can leave it hooked up forever. Right, and it's not gonna. It, it, you're you're gonna be fine. So mm-hmm. uh, you know that's 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 one of the things. All right, some other questions came through. Uh, how do you bottle condition a Flanders Red? I thought there was this was interesting because I wouldn't have expected there's a difference in bottle conditioning any beer. Right, you know the 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 only real difference in something like a Flanders Red you're dealing with is the pH of the beer. Okay. If it if it's low enough, it can inhibit the activity of the the yeast you're going to use to carbonate with. So, you know, that's that's one thing to worry about, but generally you can just go ahead and carbonate in bottle condition just like any other beer. Okay. All right. Uh here's a good question. Someone asked if you overcarbonate and then you pour out the beer, you let it sit for a little while to get back to a, a normal carbonation. Do you end up with the same beer as if you had carbonated it properly the first time? Or no. have you changed the beer just by overcarbonating it? You changed it. Okay. Okay. Well, and part of that, that was pouring it out. Okay. Every time, you know, you form head, uh, those head-forming proteins and all that, they're, they're gone. They're spent. They're, they're not there again. So that does actually change the beer. Okay. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, it is. Will the use of a carbonation stone help speed the process up? Generally, no. You're faster off of just shaking. Okay. It's the same thing with trying to put oxygen into wort. Uh, you can use those stones. They really don't provide a whole lot of uh, transfer of gas across the uh, 
across the interface there. So um, you're actually better off just shaking it. Uh, you know, carbonation stones will work better than doing nothing, but um, actually shaking it does does really does wonders. So I've heard with probers, I mean, that's how they're getting carbonated so quick with those diffusion stones in line. Yeah, you or know, that, well, in but line. they're in line, which is different. Okay, right? in that's line, different I mean, as far as yeah. serving. You mean? Well, and it's you know continuous. I okay, mean, they, they're pumping across and they're doing a continuous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you run that for a long time, it will. And you can't really shake those those larger serving tanks. So, uh, but in a, in a little keg, if you shake it, it goes really fast. Yeah. That's that's probably the fastest. It's the same thing, um, you know, trying to get oxygen into liquid. Um, you know, here's an interesting thing. Uh, let me digress. Uh, I used to do a lot of aquarium stuff before. And uh, one of the reasons that you have, like, those little air stones in the bottom of aquarium bubbling up you're thinking oh it's adding oxygen to the to, to the to the tank no it's not it's actually exchanging it's getting the liquid to turn over across the surface of the of the tank it's a surface that actually picks up the oxygen you can you can make the same effect you get a, a pump uh, that just pumps the water around circulates the water in the in the tank and you gain more oxygen from that than you will from one of these air stones so the bubbles really don't have that much surface area as compared to it seems like a lot but you know, the whole trick is just exchanging that surface area w- against the gas. So, uh, you know, same thing in, in, in kegs. Okay, a couple more good questions. What factors affect bubble size? Well, that would be your your beer composition, for one. Uh, beta-glucans, uh, proteins, gra- final gravity. Uh, that's Nucle- going to be part of nucleation it. sites. Yeah, uh-huh. nucleation, and then your beer gas mix. I mean, if you've got everybody knows that if you use uh, a nitrogen carbon dioxide mix, you get finer bubbles and a creamier mouthfeel from an, an, a beer gas mix than you do from straight carbon dioxide. But there, there's a lot of lot of factors that go into that. I've always kind of wondered about that too because I found that. Sierra Nevada, for example, mm-hmm. has large gas bubbles compared to to other pale ales that I've had. I don't know what it or if it's just more carbonated and I'm perceiving it that way, but I always perceived it as kind of these larger gas bu- uh, bubbles than than normal. And and again, I don't know if that's just that it has more carbonation or if something has affected the size of the bubbles in oh, that it's beer. It's going to be chemistry of the liquid. I mean, yeah. the the size of the bubble is going to be driven by the surface tension of the right. bubble. How big a bubble it can form before it breaks loose. Okay. Yeah. All right. So all the you know, the the chemistry of the beer is gonna help drive that final bubble size. You know, if it's a straight CO two, if it's a you know, a mix of gases, that's also gonna drive that final bubble size. So so what I find also is uh and, and I learned this off like my very first uh Scottish sixty shilling is, you know, a low finishing gravity beer. If you um, don't let that sit, you got There's a lot of fines in in brewing that come from the grains, kind of you know highly kiln grains. They become real powdery and have just microscopic pieces of uh, grain bits and things like that. And they they float around in the beer. If you let that sit for long enough, it will they'll eventually settle out. And once they do, they're no longer there as as nucleation sites for the CO two. 
and uh, you get a much better head, you get a much better, uh, you know, presentation if you let all that stuff drop out. So like uh, Tasty is saying, you know, let your beer condition over time, and mm. it actually will improve some of those things. Okay. All right, and one uh, last uh, good question from the chat. Uh, once you've reached your equilibrium in the keg, mm-hmm. is it all right then just to disconnect it and store it cold that way, or do you sure. need to keep it pressured with the you know, CO2 all the time? Once once you've reached it and you, if you need to store it, you just go ahead and disconnect it and store it. Okay. It's not going to change. As long as you don't have a leak, it's, it's not going to change. As long as it's sealed. Right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right, good questions from the chat, and that's going to do it. Great. So let's wrap this up. I think uh, CO2 is very important. We yep. determine that. I think uh, the charts in Brewing Classic Styles will help you determine how much uh, priming sugar or you know keg pressure you'd need. Right, to dial in a certain level of volumes. Right. Uh, what else? If you're naturally carbonating and it's not working out quite right, give it time. Right. Just wait. Don't. Don't open it up and add more yeast and do all that screwy stuff. Just uh, give it time at, at temperature, and I think you get close. Right. Uh, what else do we determine? Um, well, the carb, you know, there's the the carbonation level helps drive the flavors of the beer. Mm-hmm. You know, too much, too little. Determines important. Yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, you know, if you're if you're tempting to carbonate for competition, you may want a little bit more. To help uh, help carry the beer through the judging process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chad, anything? Any take homes occur to you? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, that that was helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that. And that uh, that uh, you know, if you if you are you know force carbonating uh, with the cake, oh, it's CO two is CO two is CO two. Right. It really, yeah. really doesn't matter where it comes from. It's CO two. Now there may be other flavor compounds that are introduced by you know bottle conditioning, etc. Right. But probably the most important thing is uh, getting rid of the excessive yeast that might come from bottle conditioning is probably right. one of one of the tricky things. Yeah, and that, and that's one reason. I mean, don't bottle too soon. You know, let let that beer mm-hmm. sit in the fermenter where you. You get some yeast drop. You get, you know, let that right. beer condition in the fermenter for. And trust me, there's still a ton of yeast in there. Yes. Even though it looks brilliantly clear, lots of yeast still left yeah. in suspension. And that will carbonate. Oh, and as, as Jamil says, you know, if you have too much yeast in the bottle, you're going to run into uh, a risk of autolysis mm-hmm. versus, you know, conditioning and carbonating, you know, that trade off between. Right. Getting good carbonation. If you do filter, uh, you need about uh, 1 billion cells per liter of yeast to mm-hmm. bottle condition. That's the same number that Sierra Nevada uses. See, Chad, we were talking about a lot of good stuff here, and you just <laughs> blew it off. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> He's busy bringing us some of his fine beer. That's true. So he gets a pass on that. <laughs> All right. So another good show, I think. I hope so. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it certainly. <laughs> well, we'll see how many people pay for the show, and and that'll tell us. That's oh, right. nobody will pay for the show because yeah. it's free. Yeah. All right, so uh, we don't know what our next show is going to be, but uh, you know, keep those suggestions coming. Brew strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. While you're at there at thebrewingnetwork.com, stop by the store. Uh, you know, maybe pick up a subscription to BYO Magazine. Both John Palmer and myself. It's a good we magazine. Write, uh, monthly uh, columns in that magazine, and uh, you're going to find a lot of good stuff in there. And a portion of the sale goes to uh, continuing programming like this on the Brewing Network. That's right. Uh, you know, pick yourself up a Brew Strong T-shirt. Very nice teacher. Those are very nice. I yeah. got mine here. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, maybe some signed copies of Brewing Classic Styles and How to Brew. 
Yeah. And check out the store, everybody. And uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you next week. <laughs> next show, I mean. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong.